0: My name is Justin McClure. I'm here today with... Ladies and gentlemen, Will
1: <laughs> Slow.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Is there a ghost in the house or is that you doing your best Saturday Night Live host? That is
1: the ghost of Don Pardo, ladies and gentlemen, because this week on the podcast, we are doing a sequel to an episode that we did a long time ago. Long time ago, we did an episode about big screen comedian failures, comedians who came into the movies, had their big starring vehicle. You know, they they came from other media. They started on TV. They started wherever they started. And then they had a movie that was supposed to launch them into superstardom, like Freddy Got Fingered or Dirty Work. And that movie didn't do so well. I mean,
0: you could just listen to the episode where we talked about it. And you can also hear us talk about, and I'm sure Will's forgotten this, Fred Allen. Oh,
1: if you think I've forgotten Fred Allen, you're... (laughs) incredibly mistaken i know that you've forgotten fred allen
0: (laughs) a hundred percent i
1: don't think you remember a second of it's in the bag but i remember
0: (laughs) you can't forget even if you wanted Uh, to but
1: anyway we're doing a, a sequel to that episode by talking about the comedy factory that created more failed stars than just about anyone uh, and what
0: factory that is that? That is Saturday Night Live, a show that I never watched.
1: Never, not even when you were a teen. Not even. Nope. Why did you not watch it? Because
0: that? my mom would not let me. Wow. I could not stay up that late to watch television. Okay,
1: well, that's one of many differences between you and me. Because I've seen, I, I've seen so much of it. I, you know, I, I've actually, I don't watch the show anymore. Partly because it's bad, and also partly because the slot in my head that is devoted to SNL knowledge is full. And I don't want to push anything out of it. It's always been
0: bad, Will. It's always
1: been bad. (laughs) Yeah, it has always been bad. That is true. The
0: reason I didn't watch it was not only because uh, I would have to go to bed fairly early to wake up at like 6, 5.30 a.m. to either go to a babysitter or be drive back to respective parents that lived an hour and a half away from each other. It was also that as a kid in the French school system, no one ever talked about it no one (laughs) like i don't have one friend who talked about anything that they ever saw on saturday night live i
1: I mean i remember as a teen like people would talk about like you know lazy sunday you remember that bit oh
0: yeah i was in college by the time lazy sunday came out oh
1: yeah i think i was probably in like grade 12 or so i don't know Mm. but anyway there have been many movies based on saturday night live characters uh several of them like the blues brothers and wayne's world were big hits But other ones were not big hits. And in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was a common joke, really. Uh, People would talk about it all the time. These these fucking SNL movies that would constantly come out, stretching these one joke characters into 90 minute movies or 80 minute movies. Or in the case of It's Pat, a 74 minute movie. I
0: have a question for you, Will. What makes an SNL character?
1: Oh, wow. That's a good question. I'm not sure how much of it is nature or nurture. I'm not sure how much of it is just like, did people really love It's Pat? Or did they just play it over and over and over again? Do you know
0: that there's an It's Pat book? There's an It's Pat book? Holy shit. Yes. Like, that's a good question that... Was it funny because people found it funny or because the kind of splash of recognition was something that people enjoyed? Yeah, I don't know. Also, I think that a character is a way for an actor on SNL and because they have such big cast to stick out, if they have someone that they know is going to be popular and that people laugh at when they come out, they will try to pitch as much of that character as possible. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of SNL. I'm sure you have read many books on the subject. So- In your opinion, like, I mean, the writer's room seems like hellscapes that I would never want to work in. Yeah,
1: it it does seem like genuinely awful. Like, Lauren Michaels seems like a truly evil and sadistic person. They create this, like, dog-eat-dog hell pit of a place where people are set against each other fighting for airtime. Uh, and I think Lauren Michaels should be in jail. And
0: what finally makes it to the screen is not even that funny in the first <laughs> that's, place. That's true. You're fighting for scraps and it's just shit that you're shoveling down your <laughs> down your throat. And it's
1: true that most of the big SNL stars that we know, like we, we know them on that show. We associate them with certain characters they played, whether it be It's Pat, whether it be the ladies man, whether it be MacGruber. These are three of the movies that we watched this week, each of which was a big pitch to make their respective stars a movie star, each of which was a box office failure, uh, one of which I like quite a bit. Can you guess which one?
0: (laughs) Well, let's start with the one that I think you loved. It's past. So
1: what is the premise of
0: past? Is it a man? Is it a woman? Who knows? That's it. That's all it is. There's
1: nothing else. I don't know what was in the water in the 90s because you had Mrs. Doubtfire. You had Ace Ventura. It was, you know, you had uh, Tuong Fu. Thanks for everything.
0: Well, I mean, Tuong Fu is probably different than those other three movies that you mentioned. It
1: probably is. But the point being, it was the golden age of comedies about androgyny and, gender fluidity.
0: Was it because though things were becoming more mainstream? And so the mainstream had to react with, Oh no, this is scary and weird. I mean, it
1: must've been, I mean, I think like gay people were more visible in the nineties. And so I I don't know if trans people were particularly visible in the nineties, but like something about gay people becoming more visible must've like, freaked mainstream culture out, and so they went, they went to the next thing, basically.
0: hmm And, oh, there is so much comedy to be mined from these subjects, right? So I didn't go looking for the original It's Pat uh, Saturday Night Live sketches. Based on the movie, I assume there's not really that much there.
1: Yeah, so I've seen a lot of It's Pat over the years. <laughs> oh,
0: my God, why? Did you get that It's Pat, the best of DVD? No,
1: it's because it was on the comedy network when I was a kid, so, you know, I was just... I just watched a ton of it. I haven't seen any of those sketches in 20 years, uh, but I did see a lot of them. And you saw the movie. They are the movie, but five minutes long. So it's Julia Sweeney as a character named Pat who is uh, overweight, has short hair. And and the joke is, is it a man or is it a woman? Who cares?
0: <laughs> like, how is there that much of a joke there? But
1: the, the thing about Pat is not only is Pat of indeterminate gender, but Pat is also uh horrifying and disgusting and and just a hideous creature that everybody loathes but fortunately in this movie pat finds the love of their life chris played by dave foley who is also a person of indeterminate gender (laughs) that's the joke that is the joke and when people say that movies are just like one joke movies most of them aren't actually one joke movies. Most of them have multiple jokes. This one truly has a one joke movie.
0: But variations on a joke. That's how you get to Comedy Gold, right, Will? Oh man, so there's
1: a subplot in which Pat's neighbor, played by the great Charles Rocket. Rest in power. Uh well the late the late Charles Rocket yeah, anyway. I know. <laughs> uh very very sad actually. Yeah,
0: famous for saying fuck on Saturday Night Live. And then went on to a career, uh,
1: you know, a middlingly successful career as a character. Yeah, he was in an
0: Albert Pewin movie?
1: That that's right. He was also in Dumb and Dumber. He was is the villain in that film charles rocket becomes obsessed with pat is strangely attracted to pat and spends the whole movie trying to figure out if pat is a man or a woman meanwhile pat also becomes a media sensation uh, camille paglia makes a cameo in this film talking about how pat is revolutionizing gender <laughs> there's a subplot where pat joins the alt rock band ween the plot does not unfold like a well-oiled machine it's a, <laughs> Kathy
0: Griffin shows up as Kathy
1: Griffin <laughs> that that's also true by the way did you know that supposedly Quentin Tarantino did an uncredited rewrite on this script <laughs> what
0: could he have possibly written no
1: idea but apparently he and Julia Sweeney were friends maybe they dated I don't know they've been photographed together um, so you liked the movie, no, right? No, I
0: hated this movie. It was awful. I couldn't wait for it to be over.
1: Yeah, it was just a, a truly... I split it up over three nights.
0: <laughs> like Satan Tango. <laughs> it,
1: <laughs> it's 74 <laughs> minutes long. It's just like... It felt like a week. It was just an awful, awful, awful experience. One of the worst movies I've ever seen it was kind
0: of like watching one of those like really offensive movies from the dawn of cinema and like sitting there wondering like what did people think was funny about this? yeah,
1: yeah and I mean to to the nation's credit, it's Pat the movie was not even a success in its day was the
0: character a success on Saturday Night Live like
1: I guess Pat must have been a success I don't know I guess people I guess people liked Pat although they certainly did not go out in droves to see It's Pat the movie. So I'm going to use It's Pat the Movie to proffer a theory. I don't know what else good this movie is for. (laughs) I think a star-making vehicle has to announce the star, the screen comedian's personality. Like, it has to essentially be, like, the default. Like, this is the comedian, and all future movies featuring this comedian will be variations on this theme. So, like, you know, Ace Ventura, 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy... Billy Madison with Adam Sandler. I don't take the money and run. All to varying degrees are origin stories for the star. And it's difficult when the star is smothered in a character. There are some exceptions to this, like Peter Sellers and I guess later Mike Myers made careers out of being chameleons. But you don't watch this movie and get any sense of who or what Julia Sweeney is. Do
0: you know her? Like, what kind of skits would she do on Saturday Night Live?
1: I have no other memory of Julia Sweeney. I, I know I saw hours and hours and hours of Julia Sweeney. I only know her as Pat.
0: Perhaps her real personality is... It's Pat.
1: Wow, really makes you think. well, I, I hope um I hope she's happy with that.
0: <laughs> Throw it in the rubbish bin, never to be looked at again, please. <laughs> no more, it's Pat. Justin,
1: I love doing this podcast. It's great, but there are times when it's shift work.
0: <laughs> yes, this is one of them. <laughs> I would say that the other film we watch, Tim Meadows in The Ladies Man, is a different kind of work where it's the kind of comedy that you sit there and you watch it and you go, I'm not laughing. It's trying, but whew, it's not good. <laughs>
1: it's not good, although I sure appreciated it a lot more after watching It's Pat. Like, this is this is just a standard, like, bad comedy. It's got a couple of chuckles. So you know. I've
0: only uh, become aware of Tim Meadows recently because he shows up in a lot of Andy Samberg stuff. It, they, he seems to, uh, Samberg and the Lonely Island Boys seem to have taken him under their wing and put him in stuff in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He has a big supporting role in Pop Star, and he's really funny in those movies. And here... Eh, not so much.
1: He's really funny and walk hard, too. Did you ever oh, see that? Oh, he's
0: very funny and walk hard, where he explains what drugs will do and how you shouldn't take them and all the awesome things it makes you feel. It's the cheapest
1: drug there is.
0: And why do you think somebody like Tim Meadows hasn't Taken off. I mean, other than that, that he's black, and that you know Hollywood only wants white actors.
1: I mean, that probably has a huge amount to do with that. In this movie, he plays his signature character, Leon Phelps, the ladies man. And again, I saw a lot of the ladies man when I was a kid. I am struggling to remember because because this movie didn't give me a lot of clues. I was struggling to remember like what the premise of this character was. This movie is basically like a black Austin Powers, except it's a little bit more confused. Like. Austin Powers is a fish out of water. There is a disparity between him and the world that he's in, and you are kind of encouraged to regard him as ridiculous. But in this, Leon Phelps, he's a sex advice radio host. Uh, he has a show, and people people call it, and he gives sex advice. And he's got a big afro, and he dresses like a seventies black exploitation pimp, basically. And he's like he's sort of ridiculous, but he's also sort of actually like a stud. And so I think the movie is confused in its depiction of him. I think the movie would have been possibly funnier if he was actually just an an inept sex advice guy. Yeah, because
0: it's weird that he's like uh, an amazing lover that all the women (laughs) love. And he's just great at life.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of like tension at the core of the film, I think. The plot involves him getting fired from his radio station, and I think this would have been a topical thing at the time, because, like, Howard Stern and other shock jocks were a thing at the time, and were constantly being, like, hounded by the FCC. So that's been lost to history. You
0: know that this film was pitched as, like, what if we did Austin Powers, but black, like you mentioned? Yeah,
1: that and Undercover Brother were the two movies that were pitched that way. The main source of conflict in the film is a group of men, most of them white, although this is not this is strangely not really built upon in the film, but a group of men who have been cucked by the ladies man led by Will Farrell, who is a deeply closeted gay man, one of many deeply closeted gay men that we watched this week. Uh, every SNL movie has a deeply closeted gay man in it. Uh, also featuring Lee Evans. He's one of the men. <laughs>
0: Let's talk about Lee Evans. So I got to say, Lee Evans seemed to be everywhere I when know. I was a child in every movie that I watched. <laughs> and looking at his IMDb credits, he was only in like five, six movies. That was but it. But he
1: really sticks out, doesn't he? And and this this <laughs> is does. for our British listeners, because apparently... British listeners, you will know better than me. Apparently, Lee Evans was, or maybe even is, huge in the UK.
0: Arena tour huge. In 2011,
1: he was. He played the O2. So, I mean, I don't know. We've seen him in, I guess, Mouse Hunt,
0: right? <laughs> like, yep, There's Something About Mary. Oh, yeah,
1: he was in that. And also- And The
0: Fifth Element.
1: And The Medallion with Jackie Chan, yeah. where he played the Chris Tucker role. Uh, he
0: also co-starred alongside Jerry Lewis in Funny Bones. <laughs>
1: oh, that's right. Oh, my God. He was in- Okay, I guess that was everything he did in America, but it was a lot. I've seen every single one of
0: those movies. <laughs> I was like this Lee Evan guy, he must be very popular. <laughs> he's in all of these films.
1: But he, how could he be in that many movies and yet attract no fans in America? Like he was in there's something about Mary. That was a massive
0: movie. You know what? That's probably what I associate with cuz he had a big role in that. And after that, he was just gone. He has not acted in anything since 2009 when he appeared in an episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, and you know what? That's Maybe fine. he's like, "Listen, I said everything that I have to say with The Medallion and The Ladies Man." So I can now go and live in probably the giant mansion that I own and live the rest of my life.
1: The weird thing about Lee Evans is I think he is objectively talented. And yet I don't I don't like him. I don't like looking Lee at Evans him.
0: Evans feels like someone that should be in Rat Race. And I'm shocked that he's not. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But getting back to the ladies, man, this is, like you said, an inoffensively bad comedy. Uh, yeah.
1: And it's just not very funny throughout. There are a couple of chuckles. Tim Meadows, he's likable on screen. I think he carries the movie as far as it can go. And you were asking like why he didn't become a big star. And I I wonder if he's better suited to supporting roles because he's kind of a low key, wryly, funny screen presence.
0: His strength seems to be like affable and positive, but saying really crazy stuff. Like in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the character he plays is a cannibal that's the cellmate of the Andy Samberg character and like he'll just like off the cuff say that like ah well I ate a lot of children because they taste better that makes sense doesn't it yeah and you can see Tim Meadows doing that kind of stuff I'm always happy to see him and so speaking of Andy Samberg I also asked Will to watch Hot Rod the big Andy Samberg vehicle technically not an SNL character but definitely a spin-off of the SNL digital shorts now you mentioned Lazy Sunday does the lazy do the digital shorts like like, have a space in your brain when they were playing on SNL? Oh,
1: yeah. I always liked them. I thought they were really funny. I thought they brought, like, a new kind of energy. <laughs> yeah,
0: I would think that would pop in SNL. Stuff that's funny on SNL. What's going on yeah, here? It was
1: it was a very different kind of thing than the normal thing that was, that was on SNL. Like, it was a more conceptual kind of comedy rather than, like, here's a joke and here are, like, variations on the same joke for the next five minutes. Or, like, here's a game show parody. I
0: remember hearing that, like, the sketch they had done before Lazy Sunday really blew up was one where it was just like Will Forte doing an interview and like eating lettuce, just stuffing lettuce in his mouth. And that was the whole gag. Like that's the kind of stuff that they like. And I think that the SNL digital shorts, they were successful and funny because they were just left to their own devices. They're just like, this is what we're doing. They're like, all right, it's not gonna cost any money. Go do it, come back with it. Kind of like what Albert Brooks would do in those first few episodes of SNL. Right,
1: so Hot Rod features Andy Samberg as Rod, an aspiring stunt master, somebody who wants to beat Evil Knievel's record of motorcycling over or, or doing a big motorcycle jump over, I think, 15 buses to raise money to fund the surgery of his dying father-in-law <laughs> played by ian mcshane with whom he has a contentious relationship
0: yeah they wrestle every time like i think every week is the joke they seem
1: to hate each other that's the big joke and uh you know most of most of the humor of the movie comes from like the contrast between andy samberg's braggadocio and his meager achievements
0: really super dave the movie part two yes <laughs> in fact i i thought about that
1: and then uh, Will Arnett reference Super Dave and I thought <laughs> Does he? and then I thought god damn it I was gonna say that on the podcast
0: there's some really funny conceptual stuff in this movie like the fact that the entire soundtrack is by, oh, I can't remember the name. Is it Europe? The band that made The Final Countdown? Yeah, yeah, that's right. But it's every song from the album that The Final Countdown was on, except for The Final Countdown, which never plays in the movie.
1: Oh, that's really funny. Yeah,
0: this is a movie I saw in theaters. I thought it was really funny. And it's weird that it flopped as hard as it did and that Andy Sandberg and the Lonely Island guys cannot get any kind of comedy hit to save their lives.
1: Right, Popstar also flopped and McGruber flopped and I don't know why it, why it is because people like them and th- oh, their movies always do well when they're on, like, Netflix.
0: And you always hear people talk about them and they're always constantly in the conversation. So it makes me wonder of, like, what is that missing element that is getting people out to the cinema? Like, or keeping them from the cinema, I yeah, mean. Yeah,
1: I don't know. Comedy is strange. Uh, certain things capture the zeitgeist. I think a lot of the Lonely Island stuff sometimes seems a little bit ahead of the zeitgeist. Like some of them, like some of them seem to be written for other comedians.
0: I was laughing, uh, thinking about the scene where they just say cool beans for three minutes and it's edited like a YouTube poop. Right, Right. See, that's the good stuff in this movie.
1: What do you think of Andy Samberg? Because he's probably a bit more like, um, conventionally, like, attractive than a usual comic lead. I'm not sure why I'm asking that. It's just, it's just like, it's it's funny that it works that he, it's funny that it works that he's a big loser.
0: Yeah, well, you know, if you compare him to somebody that came before and that a lot of people said he was going to be the next of, Adam Sandler, I think the difference is that Adam Sandler's characters had that kind of bully anger behind them. And Andy Samberg just revels in the patheticness of his character. So... I think that some people love that, like me, but other people, they kind of have a negative reaction to it, which is maybe why it works in smaller doses, like when he's on SNL. And when Hot Rock comes out, people are like, well, I don't want to see a feature length version of that, even though that they're
1: wrong. We also revisited a movie that both of us love, the last official SNL movie to date. So
0: I was shocked to learn there's only 11 SNL official movies based mostly on characters
1: including stewart saves his family and uh what what else is in there what are some deep night at the
0: roxbury oh
1: yeah night at the roxbury another
0: movie i haven't seen
1: yeah well that's fine
0: Coneheads, (laughs) wayne's world one and two superstar wait can we just say what did the kids in the hall do to be like banished to these movies oh my
1: god yeah two of them are in the ladies man yeah uh
0: yeah mark mckinney is isn't he in the ladies man dave foley is in it's Pat. Yeah. And Bruce McCulloch directed Superstar.
1: Incredible. I mean, I guess uh, Lauren Michaels was just offering them consistent work. I don't or know. Or he's
0: like, listen, you do this or I let this blackmail info out into the public. Anyway,
1: magruber is a parody of 80s action movies uh, starring Will Forte as uh, the comically bungling magruber God, it, I it just feels so boring to describe the plot of this movie, well, doesn't so
0: it? Well, so when I saw Magruber the first time, I liked it, but didn't love it. And it's... Because when I went in, the trailers and the reviews made me think it was going to be like a NanEp guy who could suddenly do cool stuff. And I expected, I don't know, like a Hong Kong style comedy, if you know what I mean, like based on the character that's where you could go with that and that's not what you get because that's not what Will Forte's persona is now do you like Will Forte as a comedic actor yeah I like him a lot okay so I love Will Forte and the fact that his persona is pathetic man child loser That is just terrible, never fails to make me laugh. I think I really clicked into the Will Forte brand uh, through the TV show Last Man on Earth, which the premise is Will Forte is the last man on Earth and then he slowly meets other people. And he is just awful, and he just makes the worst decisions. (laughs) Like, uh, his name in the show is Phil Miller, and then he meets another guy named Phil Miller, and he, like, loses a contest, so he's called Tandy for the rest of the series.
1: I like how in MacGruber he switches back and forth between, like, just appallingly arrogant and cruel and rude to everyone around him, and he thinks he's so cool. He switches between that and just being completely pathetic and crying and begging people to like- he'll
0: suck their dick.
1: He'll suck their dick. He'll (laughs) let them fuck them. You know, just tell me what you want me to fuck.
0: So MacGruber, I want to break down, because I think MacGruber is like a key to how you can make a good SNL movie. Because like when you take a character and you know, they're popular, how do you make a movie around them? Do you tell their backstory? Like the ladies man? Nah, not really. Or do you put them in the pre- in a premise? Like, MacGruber is just a genre pastiche. If you put him in that genre and you play it completely straight, almost, except for his character, that's how you make it work. Like, this film looks like an uh, 80s-slash-90s action movie. It's shot that way, and very few characters make jokes other than Will Forte, yeah,
1: Val Kilmer is the villain, and he's amazing. He just plays it as if he's really the villain in one of these movies.
0: Or even Ryan Phillip, if like MacGruber not in the shot, it would just look like a shitty generic action
1: movie. A lot of the SNL movies are built around characters who just had one joke, and the best ones are the ones that just ignore the joke altogether and instead create a world around the character, sort of take the character as a jumping-off point for a movie. Well,
0: when I watched some of the MacGruber shorts, who I have to admit I had not seen any, I think, before looking into it this week. What was great about... It's just one joke. Well, it's not really, because the joke is about how pathetic he is. (laughs) And that, like... He thinks he's good, but he's really lame. And there's different versions of that throughout. Like there's one where he's like super racist and Charles Barkley is like his assistant (laughs) when he's trying to defuse it. And one of the jokes is like, he's like, give me the uh, Chinese wire. Oh, no, what? I am racist. (laughs) Like that's funny stuff. And so the movie explores that. I remember one of the issues I had when I saw the movie the first time was like, Everybody thinks he's so cool. How has he survived this long or done stuff up to this point? And then I'm like, eh, I don't know, man. I just gotta look at like the president of the United States. And MacGoover not that unbelievable.
1: Also, he was surrounded by a team who did everything for him.
0: (laughs) Seemingly all died one after the other. Which is really
1: well, they all died when the when the truck blew up from his homemade TNT. The
0: thing about Will Forte (laughs) as an actor is that there is no depth to the patheticness that he will not mine. Like because like he wrote the script, too. There's this one amazing bit where he's talking to Ryan Phillip and they're like, I don't know why Val Kilmer killed my wife. Other than the fact that we were all friends in high school. And- <laughs> okay,
1: that scene is so funny where it cuts for like three seconds to a high school flashback. And it's just Val Kilmer wearing like a long wig looking exactly like 50-year-old Val Kilmer. He
0: is dressed exactly like his character from Real Genius. They hold that
1: shot for the exact right amount of time. It's like it's on screen. Like barely long enough to even register. And then, you know,
0: I took his girlfriend. She was pregnant. And I said, well, you got to terminate that baby because we got to start fresh. (laughs) 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 So many good jokes. Like watching Will Forte whine and try to beg his way out of a situation. I know we started this discussion of the movie with that, but it just it it never stops being funny. Like even at the end of the movie, when Val Kilmer like, I found your manifesto and, you know, I'm going to give it to the authority. They're going to think you did it. And he's like, Oh, what? It's not me. I didn't write that. I don't know who wrote it. Val Kilmer's like, I, I wrote it. <laughs> it was me.
1: <laughs> you gotta believe me. I mean, we could be here all day just like reciting the funniest gags from this movie. Like when he goes to the cemetery and he like fucks his like dead wife's ghost.
0: Well, there's an easy way for McGruber to have been like a naked gun style film. And it's not because, like I said, almost all of the jokes come out of Will Forte's patheticness, which I feel takes like a lot of concentration not to make it like everybody's goofy. Like, and there's like a gag every minute. If it was that way, I don't think it would work as well as it does. Yeah, I agree. So are you excited for some more SNL character movies? You know, I'm
1: trying to think of what, I mean, I haven't really watched the show lately. What characters have emerged? Listen,
0: Will Ferrell's having a bit of a low streak right now. I feel like more Cowbell uh, Man movie is soon on its way.
1: (laughs) I mean, if they make it, I'll go see it, knowing (laughs) me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> will he? probably have they just given up like what has been like a uh david f pumpkins got his own animated special
1: oh shit i bet they'll make that into a movie
0: <laughs> no it already got its own animated yeah special. but they'll make
1: it into a movie too
0: <laughs> and other than that i can't think of one snl character i mean not having watched the show essentially ever maybe so. like
1: alec baldwin as donald trump can make a movie if it's not too late oh god <laughs>
0: No, it's too late now. It's bad. So I think the lesson we've come to is that Will Forte should be a big star. The other ones. Yeah, not so much based on the movies that we watch today.
1: Here's the thing, though. Are there even big stars anymore? They don't even make comedy movies anymore. Hmm. There's nowhere I'm for them to think to go. of
0: like what
1: was the last big comedy hit? I think it was probably like Girls Trip.
0: Yeah, that is. So like Tiffany Haddish was like the big breakout star of that one. And what
1: and what happened to her? She's just been in flops ever since. And, and before that, the big comedy hit was Trainwreck. That's, that's like two comedy hits in one decade. Comedy is dead. See,
0: yeah, I was going to say, there's no reason to laugh anymore. I think that is a thesis that we've made here. And if you definitely don't want to wa- laugh, watch Saturday Night this Live. This is why
1: nobody leaves Saturday Night Live anymore. This is why Kate McKinnon is still on the show, is because there's nowhere to go. You
0: know, the thing about Saturday Night Live is, can you imagine being a writer on there? Like, you want to compare it to, like, The Simpsons? But at least on The Simpsons, that show was funny at one point. Saturday Night Live, it was never funny. <laughs> You got nothing to build build on or be disappointed by. Maybe it's better that way I feel then. like
1: if you're a writer on SNL, you either really love it uh, because you are in that ecosystem and you are trained to think that that's a great life. And you're like
0: power hungry. So you feel you have power and that you have or meaning. Or you really
1: hate it because you're actually funny and you found yourself in this horrible hell pit where, where genuine comedy is not appreciated.
0: <laughs> Why would you work there then? It's not worth getting a summer home. Actually, I bet SNL writers like... You know, down the totem pole are probably paid shit. Yeah, but
1: you know, they probably all have rich parents.
0: Oh, definitely. How else could you get a job at Saturday Night Live? Yeah, they all they all went to Harvard or whatever. You know? So, as per usual, you can send us letters at Important Cinema Club Podcast at gmail.com. And our first letter this week is from Therese Ramos, and it goes, Hey Justin and Will. Just wanted to thank you for the consistently amazing content. I'm one of your young listeners. I found your podcast when I was 14 and I honestly can't imagine what my relationship with movies would be without you guys. I used to hate movies growing up and I only got into them a few months before I discovered your podcast. So the diversity of your topics was really helpful. Believe it or not, I didn't even know Jackie Chan had movies outside of Hollywood or that Francis Ford Coppola was a person that existed before I listened to your episodes. You guys have definitely converted me. I am now a diehard Jackie Chan fan as ever Everyone should be. Wow.
1: That's an incredible thing
0: to hear. <laughs> I like, I found your podcast when I was 14. It, it, it does make it sound like we've been doing the podcast for like 20 years. We've been doing years. it for a
1: while now. We, I think we are approaching the uh, half decade anniversary of this podcast. Wow.
0: Five years. Feels like nothing has changed, yet death is more closer than it's ever been. I'm curious of how this person learned of our podcast or started listening to it. Hmm, You know what? Probably through politics stuff, I would say.
1: Write in and tell us. How did you find out about the Mm, podcast? If
0: I had to make a guess, I'd say Chapo to Michael and us to The Important Cinema Club. Definitely,
1: we've got a lot of listeners that way. Although, we've we've also got a lot of listeners from people who searched a filmmaker they liked on iTunes and stumbled upon us.
0: Or a filmmaker they hate. I hear a lot of that Christopher Nolan haters coming to our podcast I know that we
1: have a lot of like uh, red letter media type fans now who came in through no such thing as a bad Mm -hmm. movie Oh yeah,
0: because that was a recent topic of discussion on our Patreon, which you can join if you become a Patreon member, which we'll get to a little bit later Anyway, the letter continues I just wanted to ask if you guys were planning to tackle Filipino films anytime soon, especially our martial law era films in the 70s or 80s. I've gotten so obsessed with the big filmmakers at the time, like Lino Broca and Ishmael Bernal, which are social realist blockbusters. I hope you guys talk about them at some point. If you're ever in need of some estrogen in your podcast, women directors and producers have never been a rarity in Filipino cinema, so you might want to check them out. I'm personally a big fan of Mary Lou Diaz Abia's feminist trilogy Brutal, Moral, and Carmel. Regardless, I hope you guys keep up the good work and happy holidays. The gospel of Will and Justin deserve to reach more 14-year-old fetus cinephiles. <laughs> well uh thank you very much for this and yes I agree we should be taught in elementary school we should be part of the Canadian curriculum when it comes to the arts
1: well you know I'm hanging around playgrounds all the time so <laughs> oh,
0: no. there's that edgy comedy people come to do this podcast for and as far as Filipino filmmakers go I you know consider doing like an episode on just Filipino cinema like we did on Brazil but Uh, As I learned in the Brazil episode, it's just too wide a topic to tackle. We do have to do it just by filmmaker. And Lino Broca is definitely on the list. But also, his movies are like three to four hours long. And considering it's someone I know nothing about, that would be real tough.
1: I just want to say, first of all, A, I liked the Brazil cinema episode. I think we should maybe consider doing something like that again. And secondly... The main thing I know about Filipino cinema, and I'm ashamed to say this, well, the main things I know are that Roger Corman shot a lot of stuff there in the 70s, and also that the Philippines are the home of Wang Wang, the world's smallest movie star who starred in the classic James Bond parody For Your Height Only. I
0: also know, thanks to the book Mondo Macabro, that at one point they built a film center and uh, a bunch of it collapsed, and they decided to keep building it. And just any body parts that were sticking out from the cement that collapsed, just, you know, cut them off. And pour cement over it to make it smooth, which they did. And then when it was done, oh boy, did that place smell. Thanks to the rotting bodies. Well,
1: regardless, it sounds like a very rich topic. I would love to learn more about Filipino cinema. Me too.
0: Filipino cinema is also very interesting. I have read about it a little bit. Because it was dominated a lot by Americans in the early going on of cinema, a lot of their early films are very kind of like Hollywood inspired, which is different than places like Japan. And that then evolved into their own like neorealist wave with you know people like lino broca i have an amazing book of filipino criticism and the frustrating part about it is that none of the movies that the critic talks about are available anywhere with the subtitles We will definitely do a Filipino uh, cinema episode in the new year, because I think that's something that people don't really talk about outside of like on the job, uh, the director who also made By Bust. And I think there's a lot to kind of like dig into there. So thank you very much for the suggestion. If uh, other people like to send us letters, it's importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. And this week on our Patreon, Will, what are we talking about? We talked
1: about Saturday Night Live. So we are talking about the other big Lauren Michaels production. Kids in the Hall in cinema.
0: Ah, we have to fill our CanCon quotient with that. And we're doing uh, the wrong guy, the Dave Foley starring vehicle that broke him into stardom. And he that's why we talk about him to this day. Right, Will?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and we were also talking about the only Kids in the Hall feature film, Brain Candy.
0: Do we like it? Do we love it? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. It is $5 a month, patreon.com slash the important cinema club. And what? What is that? Oh, 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 it's the Christmas season. What are we doing next week, Will?
1: That's right. It's our annual holiday episode. And this time for our holiday episode, we're looking at. A form of cinema that has been much seen, but little analyzed, little cataloged. Uh, we're talking about Hallmark Christmas movies.
0: And we don't want to make fun of these movies. Like, this is not a podcast where we're going to be like, oh, look how bad this is. I'm like genuinely curious to see more than the ones that I've already seen. And just kind of break down the elements to it because it is a cottage industry. The poverty row of cinema today.
1: That's right. And I'm just curious to know, like... One thing I know, one thing that people tell me about Hallmark movies is that they're all the same, and I don't see how that can be true. So I would like to know like where is the art? Are there some that are better than others? Who are th- who's the Edgar G. Ulmer of Hallmark Christmas movies? Is
0: it possible to be an Edgar G. Ulmer now in the Hallmark uh, kind of fact and when we say Hallmark we mean general like that counts Harlequin Christmas movies or you know I don't know uh, what are some other channels that play Christmas movies there's so many yeah of them. and
1: they all have the exact same poster you know it's like to Well, I don't I don't need to describe the post. You've all seen it. It's a it. man
0: and a woman and they're white and they're standing in front of usually uh, snow and there's like a red outline around it.
1: One of them has a red sweater and one of them has a green sweater. And maybe there's a snow globe in there somewhere.
0: Now, originally, Will pitched this episode as watching cult directors making Hallmark Christmas movies. But I think we're going to go a little bit broader than that. Yeah,
1: I pitched that because Fred Olin Ray has made some. David Dakota has made some. Many other you know exploitation type directors have made them but i think we realize that we want to try to do justice to this genre we want to find the ones that are supposed to be good and find out why they're supposed to be good
0: so if you know any great hallmark christmas movies like ones that you genuinely think are great for uh it's tough like that does the thing that it's supposed to do as well as it can let me or will know twitter tweet at us yeah uh at J or Will Sloan ESQ. Because I've tried to look up lists, and it's tough because, like, how do you measure it? Do you measure it because it makes you just, like, feel good within that context? Or is there ones that try to do stuff that are beyond the boundaries of what is expected? And, you know, the weird
1: thing is, too, a lot of the people who love Hallmark Christmas movies sort of love them for the badness of them, in a way. Like, people, people will tell you, oh, you know, they're so cheesy, like you know they're so corny this and that but they still they still like the movies so what are i guess we're curious like what is the criteria of evaluation i here?
0: think it's like warm blanket cinema like it doesn't break out of its templates because that's what people expect they don't want to be shocked or anything like that or they just... it's like
1: ambient cinema it's something to have on in the room while you're doing something else
0: anyway we'll get into that more next week but until then my name is justin McLeod. i'm will sloan thanks for listening
1: Justin, following your recent 24-hour Halloween movie marathon on Twitch, you did another big Twitch marathon, another 24-hour marathon uh, full of movies, one movie after another. I'm I'm curious to know if you slept, but I'm also curious to know what you watched. You did a a Christmas marathon. I'm
0: going to say, I did not sleep, and I felt great the next day, too. I I just got it down to a science, which is don't eat garbage while you watch these. (laughs) because that's what you want to do when you do something special like watch movies for 24 hours is like eat chips or like salty food or pizza and i avoided all of that kept myself hydrated i uh took two showers during those 24 hours (laughs) and i felt great i went to bed right after it was done woke up six hours later then went back to bed during my normal, um, go to sleep time. So yeah, no worries at all. I don't know if I've mastered the 24 hour marathon system, but I think it would probably be a little bit more difficult if I was in a movie cinema because no showers there. So,
1: What were the famous movies, the ones that everyone has seen that you play? So
0: as I said before, I usually try to avoid like really famous stuff until the end of the marathon. So like when I started it, I did like a bunch of stuff that people have probably never heard of, like an amazing, uh, French uh, noir that set over one night during Christmas called Le Mancharge, also known as Paris Exchange that like everybody loved and no one has ever heard about. A lot of these movies, I went through lists of Christmas movies looking for anything I did not know. And then I would look into it to see if it was good or not. I watched um, Evenings on a Farm near Dinanka, which is a film that people would know the style of because it's the MST3K episode, Jack Frost, the same director. You remember that one, right? the Russian kind of like fantasticals. Those movies are great. I feel like we could do a whole episode on just Russian fantasy films because they're their own genre. And it's fascinating to look at where they came out of and what message they were trying to share with their audience. I also watched a Shaw Brothers. It's not a Christmas movie, even though I did discover there is a Christmas Shaw Brothers movie, but it's a drama and nobody likes it very much. One called The Black Tavern, which is like the hateful eight But it's all martial arts set in like a snowy tavern. Great movie. If people haven't seen it and want to see a Shaw Brothers movie, check it out. I watched Shion Sono's Love and Peace. Did we talk about that during our Shion Sono episode? I can't
1: remember. We didn't watch it. Yeah,
0: that's a Christmas movie. If people haven't seen it, check it out. But the big famous ones I watched were Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 and uh, Rocky 4 <laughs> were the big
1: ones. Yes. And uh, Rocky 4 oh, always yeah. good.
0: And you know who watched it with us? Matt Farley in the chat room the entire time. I heard
1: on his podcast this week him talk about it. Yeah, So
0: that was delightful. I also showed like a lot of like really obscure stuff like Exit Speed, which people love, or the Don Johnson starring vehicle, Dead Bang directed by John Frankenheimer. I even went deep into my uh, memory of like, what are some stuff that I watched as a kid? Because I really wanted to play a stop motion movie and I'm like, what's a good stop motion film i made a decision programming it that like i didn't pick anything i thought was gonna be bad like i hadn't seen all these movies some of them i had seen but like i had the john goodman the day was out of santa claus or the year was out of santa claus which and, is uh
1: who did john goodman play in santa that? claus <laughs> I-, I was kidding
0: <laughs> uh and you know who his uh comedic partner in it was who? chris katan oh nice Yeah, so uh, I was supposed to play that at like four. How
1: did he not come up once on
0: the episode? Four in the morning, because we talked about him all uh, last episode, remember? And why did he not come up? Because why would you talk about Chris Kattan? (laughs) Uh, Do you remember the show um, Bump in the Night? Yes, I did. We watched the 64-minute Christmas special (laughs) that was made based on that show. And what's shocking about that show is how complex the animation is in some shots and how cheap and recycled it is in other shots and now with adult eyes you can really tell how they were saving money when suddenly three lines of dialogue are just close-ups of eyes (laughs) so they don't have to animate anything else do you have any christmas movies that you watch every year i know i've asked this question but i've already forgotten because i'm old now it's been five years well
1: for about 15 years i would watch santa claus conquers the martians every year and i do love that movie i think it's a very charming movie it feels very christmas it's got a lot of bright colors in it it's got a lot of like dumb shit in it uh, I'm a little I've seen it so many times now that I think I need a couple years break from it I also love the Pee Wee Herman Christmas special uh, I can watch that any day of the year and I also like Batman Returns, and It's a Wonderful Life. I guess not a very creative answer. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, you're like a normcore kind of guy.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. That's fair to say. Yeah. What What do you watch every uh, You year? know,
0: I'm almost Christmas movieed out. Like I've loved Christmas movie for years. It's been an obsession. Anytime December comes around, I've reached the point where I'm like, I've watched them all. <laughs> There's no like great discoverer around the corner, I feel. So you know what? I'm just going to stop watching movies.
1: You don't rewatch movies a lot. Do you make exceptions for Christmas films? Not
0: really. Mostly because there's like a new Christmas movie to like discover, I feel. So it's like, I like showing people movies. Obviously, that's not happening very often now or watching movies with people. That's usually when I would re-watch films. But as far as, like, making an annual tradition, a lot of them I'm like, I've seen this so many times. Like, I don't need to watch Die Hard again. I've seen it so many times. (laughs) You know what? I watch Jingle All the Way every year for Christmas. And actually... I'm going to be watching it online this Saturday. So uh, follow me on Twitter to Clue J. Well, I'll have more details about that where you can do a big jingle all the way watch together. Originally, it was supposed to end the marathon, but unfortunately, my partner, Emily, could not watch it with me. And because we watch it together every year, I decided to switch it out for Rocky IV and we'll be doing another screening of Jingle All the Way all by its lonesome. Love that movie. I'm not a poor <laughs> <laughs> Makes me laugh, even an imitation.